Idleman Unplugged is part of the Edify Podcast Network. I want to see your face Pass me by the crowds of people The priests who sing your praise Hello, my name is Shane Idleman, and I'm the pastor of Westside Christian Fellowship in Leona Valley, California. It is my personal heart and goal for you to see truth through a biblical perspective. I hope that you enjoy this segment of Idleman Unplugged. Are you contending for the faith? Are you one that follows God's guidelines for His people to pray? Welcome to this edition of Crosspoint. I'm Mark Taylor. My guest today is Shane Eidelman. He's the lead pastor of Westside Christian Fellowship, located in Southern California, and a host of the radio broadcast you hear here each day at uh, 3.30. We're talking about some of his books that he's been, he's put together through time, and uh, I don't care what time it is, Shane, it seems that it fits the day we're living in. And that, I believe, is what happens when the Holy Spirit's involved in putting things together. Uh, but you talk about in this first one, we're going to be talking about if my people pray in case of national emergency. Read this. Well, we definitely have a national emergency, uh, I would say. And uh, so tell us a little bit, you know, about if my people pray. But there's more that goes with that than just that, isn't there? Absolutely. And it's great to be on your program. And we should probably mention, too, that all of these books are actually free downloads as well on our website at westsidechristianfellowship.org. So people can go there, download it for free, and begin reading it today. You know, like you, and I'm sure a lot of your listeners, we've seen our nation really drifting in a uh, dangerous direction away from the truth. And God gave me a passion 20 years ago when I came back to him uh, on this uh, theme of revival and reviving his church. And of course, you know, if you study the Bible, Second uh, Chronicles, if my people humble themselves and pray and seek my faith, the context is to Israel, of course, through Solomon, and when I bring pestilence, when I bring famine, when I bring drought, if my people, but that principle, I believe, still applies. If God's people, not Washington, uh, not Hollywood, not Sacramento here in California, I'm in, I'm in Los Angeles County, by the way, uh, so... You know, we, we, we love godly legislation. We want godly leadership. But at the end of the day, it's left up to if my people pray and humble themselves and seek my face and turn from their wicked way, that, that, I believe that's a principle that we, we desperately need right now. And America is angry, but she's not really humble. You know, we're, we're upset, but we're not really broken. And it's getting us to that spot of broken desperation where we cry out like the prophets, oh, God, would you rend the heavens and come down and visit your people again? So that's really the backdrop to that book. You start off that book by talking about the destabilization of America. Uh, yeah. Now, that comes in many different forms. And you talk about this, uh, one being false information, that's for sure. You know, the enemy within, intolerability. When did you write this book, by the way, Shane? The, the one, If My People, right. in case of national emergency. Yeah. I believe that was just a year and a half ago or so. Yeah, right about the time COVID hit. Yes, yeah, yes, exactly. Because we've sure seen a lot happen uh, that's connected to that, haven't we, that really relates to this book. Well, that, that's the destabilization. Now, are there ulterior motives, you know, global reset, uh, the government's taking advantage of I, I Absolutely. But I also think, obviously, it's a real virus. It's been inflated. It's been used. Sure. It's been to manipulate the church, to silence the voice of church. I mean, in our area, you can have marijuana places open in abortion clinics, but not the church, you know, back uh, a year ago or so. Yeah. And, uh, 
Um, we actually stayed open, like with John MacArthur and Jack Hibbs is a friend yep. of mine, and Rob McCoy. Rob yep. McCoy just preached at his church a few weeks ago. And so we just decided to stay open here in California, and we grew because of it. There was a hunger exactly. of, of God's people. and uh, But yeah, destabilization of America, the only stabling effect of America is God's Word. We can go back to the conception of America, from the Pilgrims to the Puritans to the the legal system that was based on Blackstone's commentaries of the laws of England that gave scripture. No Webster's dictionary gave scripture. You can run for office unless you believe in God. The Constitution acknowledged God. And so we've drifted so far from the truth that there's a destabilization taking place. I believe that's what, what uh, happened with COVID. Is it, it further destabilized our nation and the race wars and critical race theory and the woke culture and all of that is coming out of this. You know, when you was talking about how you'd stayed open and how things had grew because you did stay open. And I was on the West Coast up in the northern part of you know Oregon and stuff back in the summer. And I would be in a kind of a country community and be out and I'd see these huge tents in the field uh, out of town, out of the big cities. And I asked somebody, I said, what are what are they doing? Are they having tent revivals out here? And they said, no, those were actually the churches that stayed open. They left the big city. They went out into the some area where they wouldn't persecute them, wouldn't bother them. Some farmer, somebody gave them a piece of land to use, and they had services out there, and them churches have grown so big that they're now can't even get back inside their church, because, and they're still meeting in these tents. Well, and absolutely, and I, I think it might help to break it down a little bit. It, it wasn't in a spirit of rebellion. You know, the first 60 days, uh, when President Trump said, hey, let's, let's back off, exactly. let's see what this is. Is it the Black Plague? I mean, is, is this going to really just sweep across our nation and because then you're irresponsible if you know you're leading to uh, this massive amount of casualty but then especially here in california we saw the doctored numbers the manipulation you know people die in a car accident and they had COVID, or they would go in for a heart issue and they had COVID, and it was just a clear manipulation uh, there's a lot of talk of hospitals getting money for COVID patients and ventilators yeah. and so you begin to see the shenanigans basically and the Department of Justice, William Barr, I actually saw the letter on a conference call, or heard the letter. He actually sent our governor saying a letter saying, you will not mess with the churches. Uh, they are essential. And so you see how important leadership is in our nation. The leadership affects the direction of our nation. So we actually went out and opened uh, our church at a stadium, a large stadium, on Saturday nights. And we grew from that. And then we went back into our facility about two months or so after uh, the COVID hit and we closed down. And uh, so, yeah, you'll see, because there's a desire to meet. And with the tents, the reason was because you're not enclosed. So you're not going to be hassled as much uh, from the county and, and those enforcing these things. And and so that's why they grew, is they said, hey, Lord, we want to honor you. We want to yeah. honor your word. We're not going to close down. We're essential. And then I believe God blessed uh, those types of ministries, absolutely. Yeah, and you talk about in the book, too, this being like a psychological battle, uh, a battle of the mind that uh, that's really what it is. It's a, it is a battle of the mind, isn't it? Yeah, and you saw a lot of this in Nazi Germany, where they would silence the true churches. Uh, they would begin to control the media and change the narrative. And so you see a lot of these things uh, playing out today. And the battle is for the mind. All the, if you can get people to fear, you know, fear something, they'll lose their freedoms. And these freedoms, we don't get back. Look at the freedoms lost out after nine eleven. You know, whether it's wiretapping or um, TSA at the airports and how things are done. You don't get those freedoms back. It's, it's a manipulation and based on fear. And the more you fear, 
then you're going to give up a lot of things because you trust the government to protect you. And so believers shouldn't be living in fear. Uh, we shouldn't allow these things uh, to control us and, and bring in fear where we can't worship God, we can't go out and, and do ministry. Uh, of course, you want to use wisdom, but you can't let fear control your life. So, yes, I believe it's a big push. It's, it's a mental battle. The, the battle is going to be won and lost in the hearts and mind of the people. Yeah, and, and you talk about that as well, being the first step toward revival. But you talk about revival not being really a series of meetings. Revival can't be worked up or brought down. But you talk about revivals when God's power meets God's people, and that's what really needs to happen uh, because the people really need to wake up to what's going on because it's really not so much all these other issues as much as it's a spiritual issue, is it? Absolutely, because uh, without, unless God brings a national awakening, I, I don't have a lot of hope. No. Because that is the only hope. You see, uh, you know, studying revivals from the Welsh revivals, eighteen, even the 1700s, and in Scotland, 1800s, Welsh revivals, New Hebrides revivals, uh, and then First Great Awakening here, uh, the, the Jonathan Edwards and Whitfield Wesley read their journals, and it was pretty dark you know, decadence and alcoholism, yeah. and, and there was no sense of religion, and they were like, they were, thinking, they were thinking the judgment of God is coming. But in that darkness, God brings the light of revival, and revival is not a, a, a series of meetings. There's nothing wrong with that, but and revival isn't jumping up and down and being loud in some of the charismatic or Pentecostal churches. And revival is when God opens the heavens and comes down upon His people because they've been seeking His face. They've been praying, they've been fasting, they're filled with the Spirit of God, and, and God says, that's an environment that I can invade. Yeah. Of course, God is everywhere. There's, he's everywhere, but there's something special about the tangible presence and power of God, and we experienced that recently. We had services every single night, last week in October and into November, and the altar was full, the church was full for the, for the first 10 days or so, and, and people were just coming hungry, being delivered, being set free. And so that's, that's our only hope, that we humble ourselves and that God would come down, visit his people, and give us a measure of revival in our bondage. Beyond that, uh, we have no hope because God looks at the heart, and there's a lot of prideful Christians. I hope I have the, the you, you guys hear my heart here, but as much as I wanted uh, a re-election, let's say, of Trump, right. I think God used it God used it to break the church, yeah. to humble us to even a greater degree. Yeah. Uh, sure, you know, uh, fraud and those things, but God allowed it. God knew what he was doing. God's sovereign. And That's so I right. think that was a, another breaking process in the church giving up. We have no hope in 2022 or 2024, although I believe in godly leadership. I believe in voting. I believe that the, the pulpits can talk about political hot buttons. But ultimately, we need to get to a point of desperate. When it, where are the full prayer meetings? Where, yeah. where are these churches having prayer meetings, all-night worship services? We, yeah. we don't see it. We, we just don't see it. There's, there's not a hunger and a desperation yet. And I'm, I'm concerned, you know, with what's it going to take? What's it going to take to finally bring uh, America to her knees and cry out to God? Yeah. Hey, you, you do talk about revival here in your book, and you, and I think it's a really good way to put it. You say revival's like farming. The farmer can't make the seed grow, but he can create an environment for growth, and that's what we got. So how, how do we create this environment for growth to uh, help us in the time of national emergency so that revival will come in? Because like you said, unless we have another great awakening, we're doomed. Uh, well, it's actually, throughout the Bible, it's, it's very consistent. Uh, God would talk about breaking up your fallow ground. What did that have to do with the heart? Uh, I've never seen plants grow on concrete because it's too hard. 
the soil of the heart has to be receptive. So there's many godly good churches in our nation, uh, but there's a lot of arrogance. You know, they're straight as a gun barrel theologically, but they're just as empty. They're not humble. They're not broken. They're not crying out to God. They, they take their pride in their theological view. And I love theology. We need theology. But you've got that, that, that conservatism that needs to be broken and crushed and, and, and that pride of, of just crying out to God. And then you've got the other side, you know, these churches that are just all about emotion and, and just, you know, it's running up and down the aisles and loud and, and oh, God, and, and, and you don't see that the, the humility there is as well. So the, the soil is always the heart. So God says, prepare your heart. If you seek me, you will find me. That word seek is like losing your child in a mall. You're no longer hungry. You don't have to use the restroom. You're not going to check your phone. You've got to find that child. So when we get back to that type of desperation, the heart of saying, Lord, I humble myself before you. I repent of my sin, repent of my pride and my judgmentalism and my arrogance. Oh, God, would you visit your people again and begin in me. Revive my heart first. And so that's what it is. It's, it's the downpour is promised. I mean, when you seek me, you will find me if my people do this, um, if you search for me. And, and so we see these promises in Scripture, but we've got to get to that point of the heart has to. That's what the filling of the Holy Spirit is. It's not weirdness. It's boldness. It's being emptied of myself so I can be filled with the Spirit of God. And that's exactly what we need. So we're actually encouraged. We see a lot of, of revivals sparking up uh, throughout communities and and. That word really is a spiritual awakening. Now, I know there's a lot of negative, um, you know, thoughts with that word revival, but in the truest sense of the word, it's God awakening His lukewarm, sleeping church so they can do great exploits for Him. It's becoming revived with the things of God, a passion for worship, a passion for prayer, a passion for His Word and the application of His Word, and and being filled with the Spirit, and and that from that comes a revived spirit. Yeah. Now, you talk about, too, a sin of prayerlessness is running rapid in many of our churches. And you talk about the dead church, liturgy condition of the church really reflects, uh, you know, important prayer life. Prayer is such a key to moving anything around and serious prayer, what I'm talking about, not just formal stuff. Right. But we do see a lot of prayerlessness. Uh, you know, people, again, it says, if my people, well, it talks about prayer, of course, if my people pray, but then you got to go on past to repentance. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And our gun safes are full, but our prayer closets are empty. Yeah. And you'll see throughout the power of prayer, of course, biblically speaking, even, you know, past revivals, there was, um, you know, whether it's all-night prayer meetings or a couple hours in the morning, and it was always often tied to fasting. Um, I don't know about yeah. you, but I can't pray well on a full stomach. I mean, you know, it's just that uh, you're, 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 you're actually replacing one appetite for a greater appetite. So there was always some, a sense of prayer and fasting, denying the flesh. It's showing God there's a desperation, there's a seriousness. And you can't work prayer up. It's not like a pep rally. God has to bring it down from heaven. And what I try to do, it's your spiritual diet. If you go to bed watching a couple hours of social media or Netflix, you're not going to wake up hungry for the things of God. But if you go to bed reading the Word or reading anything from E.M. Bounds on prayer or Leonard Ravenhill or A.W. Tozer, and, and it begins to spark a hunger, and from that desperation, from that hunger, that spiritual appetite begins to grow, and you want to spend more time with God. And So a lot of it has to do with what we're putting in our mind, because what we put in is what we're going to get out. So that's why there's prayerlessness and no hunger for prayer, is we're too full of the things of the world. It just has a bad, bad outcome, because we lose that spiritual hunger. 
Now, I know, Shane, you mentioned that these books you write, you know, you can get a, a free, you know, downloads and stuff. So people want to know about these different books. Uh, and like this book we're talking about right at the moment, If My People, how do they go about doing that and getting to know more about your ministry? The free downloads are at Westside Christian Fellowship, westsidechristianfellowship.org. And then on my site, shaneidleman.com, uh, you can read articles. Everything we're talking about, I've written uh, hundreds of articles on these topics. And the books are also featured on my website, but they that's where, you know, Amazon or Kindle, some of the books are on Audible, so you can listen to it instead. And we put those on my website, but the free downloads we put on our church website. So either shaneidleman.com or the free downloads at westsidechristianfellowship.org. That goes back what to what you just said. If you download this book and you, that hunger is intensified, you're sparking that spiritual hunger for God. You're turning off the media and turning on God, basically, the Holy Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit through His Word and, ap- and application and obedience. And So what we're finding is these books are sparking a spiritual hunger for God, for more of fasting, for more of seeking Him. And I believe the, the sin of prayerlessness, prayerlessness is a sin. Because we're commanded when you pray, when you give, and when you fast. <laughs> There's that word we don't like, because that's where it really yeah. hits home. But I, I've, I've noticed in my own life the greatest victories and the greatest times where God has really met us in a powerful way were during seasons of prayer and fasting. And when I'm busy, I really miss that. I miss that, that anointing of God and that touch of God. And if we're too busy to put God first, we're too busy. That's just the bottom line. Yeah. Now, I also know that, uh, you know, in looking at this, that you've got a lot of good stuff here. So, folks, stay with us, and we're going to be back with more right after this. This is Mark Taylor. If you miss a broadcast of Crosspoint, you can always go to our website at www.kneo.org and click on the Programs page. There you can access the current Crosspoint program as well as the last four programs that have been aired. Never miss another Crosspoint program again. Go to www.kneo.org today. Welcome back to Crosspoint. I'm Mark Taylor. My guest today, Shane Eidelman. And uh, Shane, you, we've been talking about, you know, people praying, fasting, and you talk about that here in your book, If My People, you say, when you combine prayer, real prayer, where it becomes a daily priority with fasting, you gain tremendous spiritual muscle. And you talk about how the enemy hates prayer and fasting. And then you say, are you, then on the next page over, it says, are you ready to restore your home and your nation? It begins with repentance, prayer, and fasting. Those are the three key ingredients, right? Absolutely. Well, fasting has actually been out of Christian literature for the most part for, I don't know, a good 40, 50 years. People write about it, of course, and talk about it. Jensen Franklin does. He's a contemporary, popular author on it. But just my own study of the Bible, when you look at, I mean, Moses to David to Ezra, fasting for protection, to Nehemiah fasting, to Esther, to, you know, you just keep going down the line. Then Paul was in much fasting and peril, and Jesus fasted for 40 days. And while they were praying and fasting, God said, appointed to me these people for the ministry. And so Jesus said, when you pray, when you give, and when you fast. And so we see this as a spiritual discipline. You can look at the early church fathers, Ignatius and Polycarp, Justin Martyr, and you can see that it was a discipline of the spiritual. The reason is you have two competing appetites. You know, food is good, God-given, we need it, especially sorry, nutritional food, but um, you need it. But when it becomes where we're always full 
and we're and, and uh, we're always just feeding that appetite. It really takes away the edge of prayer. It takes away the the desperation and. And I often preach on an empty stomach without a shadow of a doubt. And the best times that I have in prayer are early in the morning, getting up, not going right to the to feed the stomach, but to feed the soul. So to me, it's just an exchanging of appetite. It's clearly taught throughout the Bible. I mean, one of the, the, the scriptures that's uh, a little questionable because it's not in some of the earlier manuscripts, but I believe it's thoroughly biblical, as Jesus said, this kind does not come out except by prayer and fasting. So there would seem to be a certain demonic type of stronghold that where you have to press in, you have to push in, you have to hump. And fasting is humility. It's the greatest step of humility with the right heart, of course. Yeah. Again, in my own personal life, just I can't tr- try praying on a full stomach. I mean, you just want to go lay down and, and not do yeah. much. Uh, so you're exchanging a one appetite for another, and there's a desperation, if that makes sense. It's like, I feel my stomach growling. There's a hunger, but God, I'm exchanging it for a hunger for you. It's a hunger strike against hell and really positioning ourselves with, with, uh, with God. But there are some good teachers out there. Uh, you know, of course, in my area, uh, like he's about an hour from me, John MacArthur, and I, I don't think he's a big fan of fasting. And, uh, there, but it, it's clearly biblical. It's clearly in the Word. It's clearly taught throughout church history. It, and when, it, when applied, it is powerful. Just go to the Word and go to prayer and let God show you the, yeah. the scope of fasting. You know, I noticed you said something here in the book. You said, whatever you feed your mind becomes the dominating influence in your life. It's tough in what we see in here because a lot of that eye gate, ear gate opens up what we see and what we believe and what our mind starts focusing on. But that's so important to what we let that be because that really is the influence that's going to how we react to life. I don't know if we'll mention this at all, but I wrote a book recently, Help, I'm Addicted. And it's talking about, I mean, we have an addiction epidemic in our nation from food to oxy, to cotton, to alcohol, to, I mean, you name it, the addicted America and uh, overdoses of fentanyl now, it's in the news. And, and so a lot of it is the battle of the mind, because if we don't take our thoughts captive to the obedience of Christ, what is truthful, what is right, we will be led astray by the enemy. Once you get that mind made up, that's why Paul said, I discipline my body and, of course, my mind. Uh, so when I preach to others, I myself will not become disqualified. So it, it, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he getting that mind wrapped around Scripture. But if you're always on social media, always on the negative news, always just worried and fearful and what's going on with China and Russia and the news, and we're, where there's no time for prayer, no time for God, we're not taking our thoughts captive, it's going to be a very difficult journey. And that's why I think you see a rise in anxiety, uh, Xanax uh, prescriptions and, and anxiety and panic attacks are on the rise because we're not taking care of this wonderful gift that God has given us, that being the body and, of course, the mind. You know, you have this other one, and I think they kind of tie together. Um, oh, God, would you rent the heavens? Understanding and continuing for a genuine spiritual awakening. And right in the preference of the book, you said the need to address revival and the vital role of the Holy Spirit is relevant today. It has been throughout the church history. My hope is that all of us, including myself, would humble ourselves and find the middle ground and common ground. Humility is so crucial uh, to God being able to work with us. Is that, that true? That, that's the fertile soil. Without that, you can't grow anything because pride, God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Yeah. And what would, I mean, maybe your listener, you know, to clarify, pride is a self-exaltation. So a lot of times we take pride in our doctrine. You know, I'm Baptist, I'm Calvinist, I'm 
whatever it is. We, we, we take pride in our knowledge of the Bible. We have no love and compassion for people. Or we're very prideful in our marriage. Uh, it's my way or the highway, and uh, we just we just have a, a, a accomplished things at work, and I'm successful, and and and, and just, so just that's how pride works in the human heart. But pride must die in you, or nothing of heaven can live in you. I believe that was Andrew Murray, and so it is recognizing, man, I've got some pride going here. Who doesn't struggle with pride? All of us do, and then repentance opens the door again for God to begin to work in your heart because. Repentance means a changing of mind, but it has to lead to a changing of action. And that's the formula that God gives. If my people humble themselves and pray and seek my face and repent of their sin, it's all, you can't have one of those without the other. This isn't a smorgasbord. You know, let me pick the prayer, but not the humility. You know, yeah. they, they, all four of those go together. That's a powerful combination to, to just grab the heart of God and be used of Him. And you also state that God often shakes the physical to get us to respond to the spiritual. Boy, that is really good. If we would look at that more times, I I wonder sometimes how many times, because we we're told to examine ourselves. But when yeah. things are going on in our lives and things are happening in our country, in our world, in our church, whatever, it would be wiser to just before we start crying about it and carrying on to maybe sit down and take a real look and examine ourselves of why it might be that way. You just hit the nail on the head because how many of us have excuses? Yeah. Oh, if it wasn't for this person in, in office or this political party in office. and I mean, I've got concerns uh, big time with our political climate, but God is using these things. How do you how do you break a nation? How do you humble a church? You remove her comfort zone. Right. You, you remove everything they've trusted in when it's not trusting in you. So you remove the safety. And, and uh, with this COVID and the, the fear, and you remove the political uh, office or figure that many trusted in, you're, you begin to remove these things and, and show that God, you, you, He is our only hope. And that's, you look, the, God upsets the physical, what's going on around us, or even in our own personal bodies sometimes, and to get us to really examine ourselves and, and come to complete brokenness. And of course, the study of the nation of Israel, you see that Isaiah and Jeremiah, for example, were writing in a time where Israel was very prosperous, 50 years or so financial prosperity. And then that develops into apathy, and apathy develops into being comfortable, and that develops into drifting from God. And, and then you, you've got this cycle again, and that's what we've seen in America. You know, we are blessed by God, but if we're not careful, uh, the blessing can become a curse. Yeah. Another area which I think has been scaled over a lot, is holiness is not a suggestion. Then you say, without holiness, no one will see revival. We always hear, well, no one will see God, but you're talking about no one will see revival without holiness. Well, yeah, that's another key ingredient. Let me see if I can break this down. Biblically speaking, revival, national revival, or in our state, or what we've been experiencing a lot at our church, begins with personal revival. And many Christians are basically, you know, lukewarm. They're not on fire for God. They don't witness for God. They watch things they shouldn't be watching. They engage in lifestyles, things they shouldn't be engaging in. And again, nobody's perfect, but there's like David, there's a repent. That's why David was a, God, a man after God's own heart, because he was repentant. What holiness does without holiness, no one will see the Lord. Of course, that verse I believe is talking about, you know, in right standing with God because of what Christ did on the cross. But there's also a pressing in to the things of God. And cleaning our mind, cleaning our heart, and saying, Lord, I'm going to remove these things that are distracting. I'm going to remove these things that are pulling me out down. I'm going to remove this besetting sin. Lord, I want, I want to strive for holiness and, 
and uh, w- w- without holiness, because as we focus on holiness and emptying ourselves of these things that are sinful, pull us down, we begin to humble ourselves, and now we can be filled with the Spirit of God. You can't be filled with a lot of pride and sin and filled with the Spirit of God. So to me, holiness cleans that compartment out and doesn't quench and grieve the Spirit of God anymore. You quench, what is quenching? Putting out the fire of God. Why? By besetting sin or by sin, by pride. And you grieve the heart of God and because of the same thing, and you don't experience the power of God. So once you come to full repentance and confession, I call it full surrender, fully surrendering everything, like the prodigal son coming home. And then through that holiness and that desperation, that repentance, one is filled with the Spirit of God, and now they're they're on fire for God. That is revival. God comes down and inhabits His people, and they experience the power of God like never before. Many times, the fully surrendered life or this this uh, experiencing the power of the Holy Spirit, it is so profound sometimes that people don't don't know if they were saved uh, to begin with because of this indwelling power of the Holy Spirit. Now, over the years, it's been called the baptism of the Spirit, the unction of the Spirit. And I believe you have all of the Holy Spirit, but does he have all of you? Yeah. And you can read the biographies of John Bunyan or Amy Carmichael, uh, Oswald Chambers, D.L. Moody, even Wesley. And I remember Wesley came to America totally defeated and went home and uh, didn't know what to do until he was with the, the Holiness Club. And, and the fire of God came and changed his heart. And he became uh, just filled mightily with the Spirit of God. And D.L. Moody was trying to do ministry in his own flesh. And fully surrendered, God filled his heart. Now we hear we hear of these great Christians because they fully surrendered their life, and personal revival took place. I like to study the greats, uh, you know, Tozier and just different ones. I mean, anybody and anybody, Smith Wigglesworth, anybody I can find that I've heard that's done, John G. Lake, that's done great things for God. And I wanted to see what made them be able to do Finney and different ones do things other men just didn't do or even women that did things for God and you know Shane I always found about three areas that were the same in all of them and one of them was they were holy people number two they were people of prayer and number three they were sold out people in other words the world didn't own them in any way only God owned them and that that was where all there was interest was it wasn't in self but it was in the things of god and it's amazing what god can do with people who really want to be used of god oh man that is that that combination is so true because holiness right being in right standing relationally with god repenting of sin being cleansed and filled with the spirit that's a must and then from that you go into the power closet which is the prayer closet yeah. And you, you you can't miss this, because this is where you commune with God. This is where you open His Word, and His Word comes alive. This is where you are filled with the Spirit, and God begins to just, just pour into you. through Without prayer, there's no power. And then the last thing you said, sold out, means we are going to speak biblically. We're going to be biblically correct, yeah. not politically correct. And that's why so many of the, the bold pastors you see who are making a difference are going against the culture. The pastor today cannot be a motivational speaker. They have to rightly divide the word of truth. They have to talk about the good things and the bad things. A lot of the mega churches you're seeing, I'm not against a large church, we're, we're, we're a large church, but a lot of times you're seeing crowd-pleasing, uh, motivational things, seven steps to financial success, your best life now, all, all these things. And yeah. In context, it's not bad or wrong whatsoever, but you're missing that pastor filled with the Spirit of God, like when they came to look at America in the 1800s, Alex de Tocqueville. 
He yeah. said he looked everywhere. He didn't know where America's greatness was coming from. It wasn't until he went to the churches of America and heard the pulpits aflamed with righteousness that he understood the secret behind her success. And again, getting the pastors filled with the Spirit of God, that boldness of the old-time preachers and that calling down heaven and, and preaching the, the judgment of God, the wrath of God, but also the love of God, the grace of God, it was said of George Whitfield. He wouldn't speak about the, about hell and the damnation of God without tears in his eyes. And so that's what we're going to need to awaken a nation is to get back to these foundational truths. Yeah, yeah. And, that, and in doing that, it keeps the humility part in there, which is vital to, the, to, to, to really the spiritual success of anybody. Well, folks, yeah. stay with us, and we're going to be back with more right after this. I've walked through so much the past five years of just really putting my life back together again, piece by piece. Real people living real lives, sharing real hope. He'll always be there. He'll always love me. He'll always be the faithful one. 91.7, The Word. Welcome back to Crosspoint. I'm Mark Taylor. My guest today, Shane Eidelman. And uh, Shane, you talk about in this book, Oh God, Would You Rent the Heavens? And here's another great, I love this title, we, we Mock What We Never Experienced. And you said, I've been disheartened over the years when people trivialize or mock deep and genuine experiences that others have had with God. Tell us about that. Well, I should encourage people again, uh, they, they can read this book right now at westsidechristianfellowship.org. It's got free downloads there. Yeah. Um, you know, over the years, I'm sure you've seen it, your listeners, there's either the, the cemetery environment or the circus environment. Uh, and the goal is to find the middle ground. What I mean by that is a lot of churches are, are straight as a gun barrel theologically, but they're just as empty. They take a lot of pride in their doctrine, and we should have proper doctrine. But it's this, this prideful, arrogant, and it's a dead church kind of going through the motions. And um, that's not going to usher in a mighty move of God's Spirit. But then you have the other side, just just you know, acting kind of weird, running up and down the aisles, and uh, and and the louder you pray, the more yeah. God is there. And I don't, God doesn't care how how um, how high you jump; He wants to know how straight you walk when you come down. And so, finding that power of the Holy Spirit, not being you know, a lot of people are worried about it because they they, they see certain things on TV, and and I tell them that would worry me too. But what does the Bible say? that you will see, receive power. Power what? To witness, to be bold. Uh, he's going to baptize you in the Holy Spirit and with fire. There's a fire. There's an, an unction. Uh, D. Martin Lloyd-Jones, in his famous book, Preachers and Preaching, the last chapter, talked about the dire necessity of unction in the pulpit, being, being just aflame with the Spirit of God, on fire for the Spirit of God. So I think a lot of conservative churches kind of mock that working of the Spirit, because when God moves, it's not pretty. If yeah, the deliverance takes place. Uh, I, I've had people tell me that you know when people are at the altar full, at the altar's full, the worship team is just camping out at a song. God is moving, and they're like, "Shane, that's brainwashing. You know, that's too emotional. No, that's God breaking His people, and you better get used to it. And you better embrace it, or you're not going to experience the mighty move of God's Spirit. Because that pride. That, who are you to tell God what He can and can't do? When God, when a holy God meets sinful man, it's not always pretty. You can't. You can't, you know, just keep everything nice and tidy and keep God in a box. I mean, God just, God will break out. It's amazing uh, what happens when we allow him to, to move. Now, that doesn't mean we don't steward the environment. That doesn't mean we're not cautious. And that doesn't mean we don't discern the spirit. But at some point, you have to say, Lord, what do you want to do in this place? And um, when you have, 
you know, 30 people at the altar just being ministered to by the Holy Spirit, crying out to God, and they come up better husbands, better fathers, better leaders, better mothers, better worship leaders. You, you better bet it's important because they spent that time with God. So that's what I mean by that is, is uh, and then other churches think they can manufacture the Holy yeah. Spirit working. You know, just like work it up like a Holy Spirit pep rally. You can't work it up. God's got to bring it down from heaven. And he honors the heart cry of his people. There's a desperation uh, for that. And it, he hears the heart cry of his children. I remember when I hear my kids cry outside, you know that cry that you have to answer. You stop what you're doing, you get up, you run out that door, and you help that child. It's that same, God, we're desperate, we're crying out to you. He hears the cries of his children, especially if the heart is just an pliable, moldable, humble, teachable position. It's powerful. You make a really good statement in here on page uh, 21. You talk about when our experience lines up with Scripture, the emotions that follow can be good and God-given. You know, we don't ever think about that the experience does that line up with scripture part of the debate is you know when i, I again reading the what happened in welsh in 1904 yeah. 1905 with evan roberts what happens at the new hebrides revivals with duncan campbell if george whitfield when him and wesley would preach people it said that they would hold on to trees as not to fall into the abyss of hell yeah. people would fall down and they would they would fall down in the holy presence of god they were they were shaken they were they would cry out and and so we, we like to read about these revivals, but if it actually happens, oh, I don't know about that. And, and we, get, we get scared, we get kind of taken back by this. And, but um, your emotions, for example, when Paul talks about, you know, as an example, the, let's say the gifts of the Holy Spirit, when the Holy Spirit is moving radically and you experience the power and presence of God and you can look it up in Scripture and find it in Scripture, your, your that's, experience can be good and God-given. Uh, thank God. Can you imagine not experiencing God? I mean, just going through the motions. Just it's like a child is born and you hold your new baby. It's like, ah, uh, what? No big deal. I don't really feel anything. Thank God for emotions. Uh, and I've noticed people people get get angry very well. Is that not an emotion? See, the problem is they just don't have a heart for the things of God. There's and, and we're so worried about maybe how we appear. Uh, but again, I'm I'm conservative by nature. You know, I've got the MacArthur Study Bible. I, I, I'm conservative by nature, but you can't ignore the power of the Holy Spirit when it completely wrecks a life and wrecks a church. Uh, you know, there's demonic deliverance sometimes, because when God's working, so is the enemy. There's distractions. There's just uh, it's not a normal church service I'm talking about, but like when God revives his people. Uh, in Welsh, they were said to be in the church till after midnight. They'd be singing hymns for a couple hours, and I'm, I'm sure some critics today would say, Oh, that's real emotional. That's just emotionalism. We shouldn't sing the same hymn over and over again. Well, really? Do you have any proof text for that? Because when God's working in the heart, there's a, there's a deep desire to cry out, Abba, Father. So that's what I meant by that, is if our experiences line up with Scripture, we're in good company. Yeah. And in chapter four of the book, you bring up this area of being controversial. You say it isn't necessarily wrong. And you talk about there's incidents of odd behavior in the Bible. Now, personally, Shane, I've always thought somebody ought to write weird, you know, uh, uh, some kind of a book, Weirdos of the Bible, because there were some very weird things and weird people in the Bible God used in weird ways. But you say, as a student of revivals, I understand being controversial isn't necessarily a bad thing. Again, God is not predictable, and odd things can happen when a sinful person is overcome by the power of God. 
and this is is this the book uh, oh god rent the heavens yeah rent the heavens yes yes i talk about that towards the end on this and i should clarify because obviously context matters yeah if there's weirdness going on and you know angel globes or feathers yeah. from angels falling from the sky or i mean that that's a given that's just that's not good what i mean by controversial is you break the mold of conservative Christianity. Yeah, it, it's just. I mean, we've had, we have three hour church services. That that's way beyond the mold. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of our services, a man was delivered completely of demonic oppression and was crying out. We had a team of people praying over him. He gave his testimony a couple days later. Now, that shocked some people. There are some questions, and I had questions. I'm like, I I I don't, didn't plan that. I don't really prefer that, but. God is not concerned with what I think. And so that's what I mean. I've, I've had people where you're preaching and they'll just begin uh, sobbing uncontrollably. Mm-hmm. And you need to get them to the prayer room. You need to get them with someone because God is breaking their heart. When the power of the Holy Spirit is truly let loose, you might have, have people healed and set free. And that's, that's, I think, what I meant by that statement is uh, you will be controversial. Every single revival I read about, every single one, I've got books on all of them, a lot of them, every single one of them had words spoken against them. Did you know George Whitfield had a plethora of critics? Oh, yeah. John Wesley? Yeah. Oh, they would, they, these, these fundamentalist conservative churches would just tear him apart. Uh, same thing with the Welsh revivals. And because mm-hmm. what happens is you're jealous because God is not moving in your own church. And so you're going to minimize these works of the Spirit and call them works of Satan and begin to come against the very thing you need is the very thing you're coming against. And so we have to be open to what God is doing. It doesn't look like... I mean, the standard right now is play a song, 10 minutes of of announcements, play three songs, come up for a 30-minute message because the attention span of people these days is not really good, and then close with the song and let's hit the buffet line. That's not a living church. A living, vibrant church is not in a hurry. They're seeking the power and presence of God. The prayer room might be full. The altar is open, and they're there to camp out and hear from God. So that's really what my focus was. It's not going to be normal. It's not going. It's going to be controversial. And our church, Westside Christian Fellowship, in Los Angeles County, people. Oh boy, oh boy, that church. I mean, they might sing a worship song for ten minutes. Oh, that's that's brainwashing. Oh, people are at the altar. Oh, man, that's real emotionalism, you know. And uh, and we're real comfortable in our in our suits and ties and conservatism that we miss the power and presence of God because of pride and arrogance. Yeah, you know, I remember him talking about Finney and uh, Finney. Oh, he had a share critic. Yeah, and and he would go into churches and the pastors wouldn't want him in there, you know, visiting because he was liable to say something or, or call them out for something they were doing that was unbiblical. And uh, I, I, but then I heard other accounts. Uh, he just walk into somewhere and people just break out and start crying. He just look at them, you know, and they'd be broken oh, with it, convention, you know, convention. Yeah, it, when, it, it's that. It, it's that spending. It was it was said of uh, Robert Murray McShaney in Scotland, died at age twenty nine, one of Scotland's most anointed preachers. People would begin to weep before he even stepped to the pulpit. Yeah, because if I mean, when you spend hours with God, you're going to glow with the presence of God, not physically, but there's going to be an unction. There's going to be that the knife is cutting the environment. The spirit is working. The spirit is convicting. You can hear a pin drop, and that's what we need in our pulpits again. And Finney caught some heat because he wrote on. That he would he would teach you can actually 
um, and this is where I would disagree with him, is you can actually do certain things that where God would have to bring revival. It's like uh, kind of, you know, do this, 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 and God will bring revival. And that's why he caught a lot of criticism. But there's some truth to that, too, because you can have the right environment. You have to provide the right environment. But, uh, yeah, he was used by God. I think he was saved. And then he went out in the in his office there later in the day and was just completely filled with the Spirit of God. And yeah. he said, Lord, stay your hand. I'm going to die. The joy that was hitting him, the yeah. love that was hitting him, that's the power of the Spirit. D.L. Moody, same thing. He ran into a room. I think it was in New York. and said, oh, Lord, stay your hand. Leave me because I'm going to explode with the joy of God. Same thing with Oswald Chambers. He thought, he taught in a theological seminary, but he was dead to the things of God. And he said, oh, the, the, the last aching abyss of my heart has been filled. I'm full now of the Spirit of God, he would write three years later. And so that's the desperate need to the, today is boldness and the mighty filling of the Holy Spirit. Be open to what God wants to do in your heart. Does not line up with Scripture? Uh, because if it does, you might cast out demons. You might pray for those. Who, Jesus said it. I mean, what do we do with those Scriptures? Cut them out and throw them out of our Bible? He who believes on me. We'll have a dead, legalistic, rigid, conservative church, and we'll never see the power of God. He, he says, you're going to cast out demons. You'll speak in new tongues. You'll heal the, the sick. You might even raise the dead because the power of the Spirit is working in your life. So I take God's word literally. Yeah. I, I'm, not charismatic. I'm not charismatic in that sense. I'm, I'm a, a, a conservative charismatic. Yeah. You know, I love, I love to be, I love sound doctrine. But we need the power and unction of the Spirit to ignite our sermons when preaching, for sure. Uh, again, tell people how they can find more about these two books the, we were talking about. The free download is at westsidechristianfellowship.org, and they can download any, all these for free. Um, and then on my website, shaneidleman.com, shaneidleman.com, you can read all the articles that I've written over the last decade on this topic. And also the books are all there, but that's like Amazon, Kindle, uh, Audible. You can listen to some of the books on Audible. And free downloads are on the church website. You can download all the books. You click it. It's a free download. We're not making money on these books. All right. Well, that sounds great. Thank you very much, Shane. Yeah, thank you. If you've enjoyed this episode of Idleman Unplugged, be sure to send us your ideas and topics for future episodes of the podcast. You can send us an email at westsidechristianfellowship.org or shaneidleman.com. Again, my name is Luke Duncan, and I am your host of Idleman Unplugged. Thank you for listening to us today, and join us again on the next episode. Thank you for listening to Eidelman Unplugged. For more information, visit us at shaneidelman.com. Again, that's shaneidelman.com. This podcast is part of the Edify Podcast Network. Edify is a faith-inspiring app that brings together thousands of the best Christian podcasts in one place for your listening enjoyment. Cut through the noise and grow your faith by diving into the world's top Christian podcasts today. Download the Edify app for free from the App Store or Google Play or by going to edify.app. That's E-D-I-F-I dot app. 
El Paseo Publications proudly supports the Westside Christian Fellowship Radio Network. We are committed to quality and Christian publication. Free ebooks can be found at westsidechristianfellowship.org under free ebooks. Books such as What Works for Men and What Works for Young Adults will help readers understand that the obstacles ahead are never greater than God's power to take you through. Books such as What Works When Diets Don't and Feasting and Fasting demonstrate how health can be achieved from a biblical perspective. Other free books such as Answers for a Confused Church and Desperate for More of God show the importance of fully surrendering our lives to Christ. And One Nation Above God is a must-read for anyone concerned about the direction of America. Again, free downloads of these ebooks are available at westsidechristianfellowship.org. We are happy about partnering with the Westside Christian Fellowship Radio Network.